Hey, let's give them a round of applause for leading us in worship this morning. They did a great job for us. Appreciate them so much. I've been rubbing off on John a little bit. He wanted to wear sneakers today, and so that's his, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you give him a round of applause there, yeah, yeah. Hey, you'll notice there on the screen, faith or fear and not live light. Um, the reason is because I want to kind of take a one-week break from our series, Live Light, which is a message series on Ephesians. Um, Nick did a great job for us last week finishing out uh, chapter one. And as I was gone with Stephanie on vacation for our 10-year anniversary, and it was a great time. Um, I even flipped her out of a kayak at one point, and it's, it was great. It was great. But for those couple reasons why I want to kind of take a break just for this one Sunday. One, it's kind of a natural break in the text in Ephesians. Um, and the next passage that we're going to look at as we begin chapter 2 um, really talks about what many have called the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity, Satan, world, and flesh. And we're going to kind of look at that over these next couple of weeks. You don't want to miss that. Um, and some of what I discussed this morning and this evening is going to be kind of a foundation for us, generally speaking, as a church, um, leading into that passage as a church. And number two, today is members meeting. But it's a very special members meeting. It's my first members meeting. And you say, what in the world is a members meeting? Well, it's really a chance for us to gather and to hear what God is doing in and through our church and potentially what he is doing going to do. And tonight I'm going to begin to articulate a still growing and revealing short-term, mid-term, and long-term vision, what I call it. Short-term, mid-term, and long-term vision. So if you want to think of that like in months and years, think of the short-term like six months to one year, mid-term like three to five years, and long-term seven to ten years. And of course, obviously, we could go much farther out, but really these next seven to ten years are going to lay a foundation for us for the next generations not yet born. And we have to think that way. We have to think multi-generationally because God thinks multi-generationally as you walk through Scripture and you come to easily realize that. And so we constantly have to ask ourselves, man, what does First Baptist Church of Enid look like not just six months from now, not just six years from now, but 25 years from now? 35 years from now. And some of us might easily think, well, I don't really care. I'm not going to be around or that, that's somebody else's problem, right? Um, that's not the biblical response. That's not the biblical perspective. We constantly have to be thinking about the current, but also for what is to come. And part of that vision will cover three things, culture, community, and construction, multifaceted, multi-level here, but culture, community, and construction. Culture meaning, who are we? What are we about? And part of that transition report seek to address that and answer that. And so now we're going to build on that and kind of bring it all together. And what is our culture from leadership to ministries uh, to gatherings and so on? Community meaning just simply the makeup of our church, the community of believers here at First Baptist Enid. What is the state of our spiritual health and spiritual growth um, on multiple levels there, um, and in our need for deepening spiritual relationships among this community, and how do we foster that? So you got culture, community, and then construction, meaning facilities, um, talking about construction and, and what that looks like um, from a facilities perspective, because facilities are meant to facilitate ministry. That's in essence what their purpose is, right? The church is not a building. It is a group of people 
who just happened to meet in this particular building of First Baptist Church. Um, so what must happen from an outward campus perspective to an inward campus perspective, from children's to youth facilities to transition zones to gathering spaces to classrooms to worship spaces and so on? So in an initial general way, I'm going to begin to articulate this still growing and revealing short-term, mid-term, and long-term vision um, that will address culture, community, and construction. So don't miss tonight's members meeting, but you'll be hearing more of it in the days to come. But let me begin or start by saying this morning that God has led me here to lead us into danger. That's what you wanted to hear this morning, right? God has led me here to lead us into danger. Boy, that tickles my ears right there, right? The begging question is, in the midst of such danger some of which is already upon us, some of which which will come in time, will we together possess a spiritual disposition of faith or fear? In the midst of danger, will we possess a spiritual disposition of faith or fear? And you say, Jonathan, what do you mean by that? Well, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're standing at the bottom of the Empire State Building. You're in New York City, you're doing your little sightseeing as a tourist, and there you are at the the base of the Empire State Building, looking up at this grand building, um, all its stories, and it just just stretches up into the sky, right? We can envision it, we can see the picture, but maybe some of us have actually stood there before. Um, So you can picture that. Now, what I want you to imagine is imagine a wall two and a half times taller than the Empire State Building. Imagine standing there before a wall that is two and a half times taller than the Empire State Building. If you can picture that, then you can picture standing at the foot of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. And some of you might have been to El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. But here's a picture of this vertical rock formation. It's a ginormous rock wall that dominates the west end of Yosemite Valley. And it's two and a half times taller than the Empire State Building. And listen to the way Yosemite.com describes El Capitan. Coming around the corner and having El Capitan suddenly fill your field of vision sometimes moves people to tears. It is a beacon for visitors, a muse for photographers, And it's one of the world's ultimate challenges for climbers, rock climbers. One of those climbers is this guy right here. His name is Alex Honnold. Some of you might have seen his face before. Some of you might have seen his documentary before. Some of you might have seen his face in the news. Well, in the summer of 2017, Alex Honnold climbed El Capitan. He climbed that wall. That's two and a half times taller than the Empire State Building. But he did it free solo. Now, you and I, we picture rock climbing. At least I do. I picture indoors, maybe 20 feet high. I've got like the, the, the rope and everything. I've got a protective net down below me. I've got like a spotter and all this kind of stuff. And we've got the different colorful plastic or rubber looking kind of rocks that, you know, it's all nice and pleasant and everything. This is what I picture, Right? Free soloing, though, means to climb with no rope, with no net. 
with nothing to catch you if you fall. Just yourself and a bag of chalk and climbing shoes. And that's about it. Let me show you what that looks like. Here is Alex Honnold climbing El Capitan. He falls, that's it. And he knows it. He knows it. He spent a lot of time and effort preparing for this, but this is incredible. When you free solo, you are ascending the wall by faith. That doesn't mean a lot of time doesn't go into it. It doesn't mean a lot of preparation and sacrifice and study and all that kind of stuff doesn't go into it. But you ultimately are ascending by faith. Every placement of your foot, every movement of your hand, every variable you're placing, you're moving, you are shifting by faith, ascending by faith. Now let's go back to the bottom of El Capitan. If someone came to you and said, ascend that rock wall, free solo, what would you do? No? John says yes over here. John says yes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm willing to guess that some of us, if not most of us, standing before this wall, we would look at the risk. We would look at the problems. We would look at the impossibilities. What we would look at and focus on is the danger. And I'm willing to guess that that danger would compel us to do everything in our power and authority not to ascend the wall, but to avoid the wall, right? No thanks, I'm okay down here on the bottom. Why? Because most of us in that moment, we would adopt a disposition of fear over faith. But what if that someone was God? What if the very thing God wanted to bless you with, the very thing that God wanted to give you was the top of the rock wall? Which could only come if you did not avoid the wall, but rather ascended the wall by faith. Like what if God said, listen, I'm giving you the top of El Capitan. And along the way, I'll make sure every footing and every grip and every variable is taken care of. All I need you to do, though, is trust me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And ascend the wall by faith. Would you then do it? See, I think there are these moments in our lives as individuals in Christ, maybe as individual families, followers of Jesus, and especially communities of believers. And in some ways... These moments come every day in which we must choose between a disposition of fear or a disposition of faith. And these moments usually come down to something like a choice between worldly comfort or discomfort, pleasure or displeasure, what I know to be possible and what I've always assumed to be impossible, to give or to hold back, to choose between status quo or change, life or death, safety or danger. And these moments produce this question, will we ascend the wall by faith or avoid the wall by fear? Will we ascend by faith? Will we act by faith? Will we move by faith? Will we step by faith? Will we speak by faith? Will we invest by faith? Will we give by faith? Will we serve by faith? Or will we simply avoid the wall before us by our fear? So we as individuals, we face these moments, but again, so do churches, and we are standing before El Capitan, 
Because the Lord is almost always bringing us to a moment before El Capitan. On a lot of levels and in many different ways. And some of us in this room, we can or will only seem to focus on the risk, the problems, the impossibilities, the danger. And then we'll seek to avoid the wall and lead others to do the same. See, some of us would not have gone with Moses and Aaron to confront Pharaoh. Why? The danger. Some of us would have not gone into the promised land, and we would have been like those ten spies. Why? The danger. Some of us would not have gone down into Goliath's valley that day, and instead would have been like all the Israelites who just stood there day after day for 40 days. Why? The danger. Some of us would would have bowed down to the statue, unlike Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? The danger. Some of us would have refused to pray after that law came out, unlike Daniel. Why? The danger. Some of us would not have entered the king's room without being asked, unlike Esther. Why? The danger. Some of us would have been like the 11 who did not walk on the water that night. Why? The danger. Some of us who have been... Like all of those who fled that night of Jesus' betrayal like frightened fish. Why? The danger. Some of us in this room, we can or we will only seem to focus on the risk or the problems or the impossibilities or the danger of what's before us. And thus we'll seek to avoid the wall and lead others to do the same. As I saw this quote, I don't know who said it, but they said, man, we spend so much time talking ourselves out of doing the very things that God's talking us into doing. Most often that thing is the fear of the danger. But God has led me here to lead you into danger. To ascend that wall by faith. To be like the 300 with Gideon. To be like Rahab. To be like Abraham and Moses and Joshua. To be like all those of the faith. That great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. To be like those who allowed God to direct them into danger because they believed that God was present with them in the danger, that God was in control of the danger, and that God would deliver them from the danger. So God is leading us into the danger. The question is, is will you and I respond with a disposition of faith or fear? So if you have your Bibles, look at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You'll see the words here on the screen. Mark chapter 5, and this is what we read. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was, depleted from a long day of teaching and visiting and so on and so forth, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. Verse 37. A furious squall, a furious, dangerous storm came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and 
said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care about us? Aren't you present with us? What are you doing? Verse 39. Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet. Be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, most likely when he was kind of going off, who is this? Did even the wind and the waves obey him? And then chapter 5, verse 1, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. So here they are in this boat. It's been a long day of teaching. A lot has happened that day that we could expound on, but here they are. It's just, let's just say they're all exhausted, Jesus especially. It's been a long day. So here they are on the boat, crossing the sea, just like they've done many, many times, and what is very, very common, a storm comes up. And it's not just any storm. It's not just light winds and light rain and, and so on. It is a furious squall. Of course, the way it unfolds, many people think this is an attack by the evil one, but we don't quite know for sure. But either way, it is a furious storm. They're in danger. The the water is coming over their boat on the verge of basically destroying their situation in which they might drown. They're in danger. And how do they respond in the midst of that danger, confronted with that danger? Well, their actions and words revealed, and Jesus would later affirm it in his rebuke of them, a disposition of fear. They're afraid. And then they go to Jesus. And the way Mark writes this, it's literally two different pictures within the same overall picture. The disciples versus Jesus in danger. And they go to Jesus, and what's Jesus doing? This famous scene here. He's sleeping on a cushion, just curled up, sleeping nice and peacefully. He's asleep. The picture of him asleep is of one in the midst of danger. Remember, he's in the same boat. He's in the same circumstances, the same trial and suffering and darkness. He's in the same danger, but he's the picture of one who has a disposition of faith, not fear. And so as we are told this story, it's as if Mark is asking us, which one are we? And how can we follow the way of Jesus? How can we live the way of Jesus? How can we be like Jesus? How can we take a disposition of faith over fear? Well, I think we need to know four statements, and we need to believe these four statements to be true in the very real sense that they correspond to reality, whether on an individual basis, a family basis, a church basis, a world cosmic basis. And those who believe in these four statements will possess a disposition of faith over fear, which obviously will impact actions and reactions and words within the danger. So here's the four. God leads us into danger. 
God is with us in danger. God is in control of danger. And God will deliver us, his disciples, from danger. And basically all four of these are revealed in verse 35. Almost all of them are revealed in verse 35 and then played out in reality in the following verses. I mean, go back to verse 35. He said, Jesus said, who initiates the direction? Who initiates the action? Jesus. Jesus is the one leading them into the boat and onto the water. He's the one leading them into danger. Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He's leading them into danger. And what did he say? He said, let us. Implying what's about to happen, where we're about to go, I'm going with you. I'm not sending you off by yourselves. This is what he said in Matthew 28. I'm not leaving you. Like, lo and behold, I'm with you even to the ends of the age. Jesus is with us. And then he says, let us go to the other side. And so, in a way in which you can look at this, because it's really stronger than how it comes across, basically what Jesus is saying is, get into the boat, we are going to the other side. Despite what's about to happen, despite what's coming, despite what danger is ahead, Jesus said, we are going to the other side. So let's kind of break this down. Who leads the disciples into danger? God did. God leads us into danger. Who directed Moses to confront Pharaoh? God. Who directed the Israelites into the wilderness? God. Who directed Joshua to the feet or to the foot of the walls of Jericho? God. Who directed Gideon and the 300 down into the valley that night, well outnumbered? God. Who directed David to confront Goliath? God. Who directed Esther into the king's room without being asked? God. Who directed Jesus into the wilderness? God. Who directed Jesus to the cross when he came to do his father's will? God. Who directed the disciples into the boat that evening, into that dark, dangerous storm that he knew was coming? God. Make no mistake, God is always in the habit of leading us into danger. Even as simple as crossing the street to check on somebody who has been brutally beaten and left for dead. He's always, constantly leading us into danger. And who was with the disciples in the danger? God. Who was with Samson when he defeated the Philistines? God. Who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fire? God. Who was with Daniel in the lion's den? God. Who was with Peter when he broke out of prison? God. Who was with the disciples that evening in the boat, on the water, in the danger? God. And who is in control of the danger? Who commanded, who rebuked the wind and the waves and made everything calm and still instantaneously? God. 
Who was in control of the flood? God. Who was in control of Job's situation despite appearances? God. Who was in control when Jesus stood before Pilate? God. Who was in control when Paul and Silas were bound in prison? God. Who was in control of the danger that night? In the boat, on the water, in the danger? God. And who delivered his disciples from danger that night? Who saw to it that they arrived on the other side? God. The one who said, we are going to the other side. Who brought Noah out of the flood? God. Who brought the Israelites out of the wilderness? God. Who brought Naomi out of her bitterness? God. Who brought Hannah out of her anguish? God. Who brought Jesus back from the dead? God. Who brought the disciples to the other side of the danger that night? God. So you go back to verse 35. All four truths can be found right here. Jesus said he initiates it. He's leading them. He's directing them into danger. But he's making it very, very clear that I'm going to be with you. Despite what might happen also, we're going to the other side. Why? Because as you're going to see, even the winds and the waves obey me. Jesus led them into danger. Jesus was with them in the danger. Jesus was in control of the danger. Jesus delivered them from the danger. So the question he's asking them is, why are you then taking a disposition of fear over faith? Those who know and believe those four statements to be true and that they correspond to the past, current, and future reality will will possess a disposition of faith over fear which again obviously will impact actions and reactions and words within the danger. So what do we do? If we find ourselves at the foot of the wall choosing to avoid the wall, what do we do? How do we choose to be like Jesus in this situation? Well, there's a story that came out in 1995. There was a fishing boat that sank in rough, cold waters off of Vancouver Island. And it left two men in a life raft but who were tied to the sinking boat by a nylon rope. So their boat was sinking. They're in the lifeboat, but they had a string, a rope, connected to the boat that was sinking. Neither one of them had a knife to cut the rope. And had the ship sunk, it would have pulled the boat and the men down with it. So what did they do? For an hour, the two men alternated chewing the rope back and forth, back and forth. One guy lost a tooth in the process. And they finally cut the rope minutes before the ship fully and completely sank. And the men survived. Here's the thing. You and I, again, are standing at the foot of El Capitan. We're standing before a sea of danger. And before we ascend, before we can get into that boat, you and I must cut the rope to fear. You've got to cut the rope to fear. Do everything you can in your power to cut that rope, even if you have to chew through it. Or, we will go down with the boat. As the Proverbs says, twenty nine twenty five, the fear of man will lay a snare. 
but whoever trusts or who has faith in the Lord. In other words, who takes a disposition of faith over fear, that's the person who is safe. You and I have to cut the rope to fear, and we must trust God wholly and completely. We must walk by faith, not by sight, for he is calling us, compelling us, his followers, his disciples, to ascend the wall, to get into the boat by faith. Some of you might know the name Charles Blondin. He was a tightrope walker entertainer. And in the 1850s, there he was at Niagara Falls with this string rope tied across. Hundreds gathered. And he, being a tightrope walker entertainer, entertained the crowd by walking across this tight rope. And he walked across it again and again and again. Then he said, okay, I'm going to do it, but this time with a wheelbarrow full of rocks. Of course, everybody's kind of oohing and on at this point, like, surely not. Surely that's impossible. Think of the danger. But then he did it again and again and again, pushing a wheelbarrow of rocks across that tight rope. Now, according to the story, he then turned to the crowd and asked, do you believe that I can just keep doing this again and again and again? And they cheered, yes, yes, absolutely. We are believers now, right? We are convinced. He then said, do you believe that I could push a real person in this wheelbarrow across the line? And they cheered, yes, yes, absolutely. You can do anything, right? You're Charles Blondin, the great tightrope walker entertainer. So he then, according to the story, emptied the barrel of rocks and asked for a volunteer And immediately everyone's disposition changed from faith to fear. It gets real when someone asks you to ascend the wall or to get into the boat and go right into the danger. But here's the thing. Jesus is calling us. He's compelling us to get into the barrel with him. And he's compelling us. Mark is compelling us. Pleading with us to respond with a spiritual disposition of faith and not fear. As the scriptures say, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not part of it, not when everything's going really, really nicely and pleasantly. All the time with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding. And listen, I know it's hard. I know it's going to be hard, difficult. Some things will change. Some things are never going to be the same. But Jesus is leading us. Jesus is with us. Jesus is in control, and we are going to the other side, whatever that looks like. And for them that day, it was landing in the land of the Gerasenes and watching Jesus drive out a legion of demons, the light driving out darkness. He will deliver us. So will you choose a disposition of faith or fear? Will we ascend the wall or avoid it? Will we get into the boat or walk away. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite John and them forward as we get ready for a time of invitation. And I think some of us in this room, if we're being honest, we're kind of like that father. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. And for some of you, personally, he might be leading you to a decision 
leading you to a circumstance that you never saw coming, leading to, you to a moment in which everything is outside of your control, physically speaking, financially speaking, relationally speaking. And Jesus is trying to remind you, listen, why are you so afraid? Don't you realize I led you here? Don't you realize that I'm with you? Don't you realize that I'm in control? Don't you realize that as my disciple, I will deliver you? So why are you so afraid? Choose faith. So for some of us, we need to say, Lord, help us to look at those who've gone before us, who allowed you to lead them into danger, knowing and believing that you're with them in the danger and control the danger, that you would deliver them from the danger. Give us that faith as individuals and as a church. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for who you are. We praise you for who you are. And Lord, I thank you for your word. And as we just look at this moment, this this evening, all seem normal and as is. You guys climbing into a boat like normal, tired from a long day, just crossing the sea. then they find out that in that moment you were the one leading them into danger this entire time. To compel them to choose a disposition of faith over fear despite the danger. Despite how uncomfortable it is. Despite how murky and foggy it is. Despite how new it is. And you reminded them that you are with them in that boat that you're in control of the winds and the wave that you would deliver them Lord give us that faith help us not to choose fear but faith help us to ascend the wall at your command help us to climb into the boat at your command help us to say yes or no at your command. Help us to step, to speak, to act, to react, to think at your command. Our fear will only lay a trap for us. It will only pull us down. Lord, but those who trust in you, they're the safe ones. So Lord, help us to trust you with all of our heart. Help us to not lean on our own understanding. Help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways, and in doing so, you will make straight our paths. doesn't mean it's not going to be hard or difficult or challenging, but you will see us through the danger and get us to the other side. Help us to trust you, to choose faith over fear. In Christ's name I pray. I'm going to ask you guys stand with me. This time of invitation, you can come forward. Some of you were gone last week. I was gone. You can even pick up a bracelet here to wear as a reminder to pray for those in Panama right now. If you missed out on that last week, they're down here. If you just want to come pray, if you want to come talk to me, I'll be down here. Um, Any decision you need to make, any response, any prayer that you might have, now's the time for you to respond as we sing this song.